The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Oh, Leviticus chapter number 23. We are seeking to finish the series prior to Easter, so after today, we'll have one more day together, and that'll be, Lord willing, next Sunday as we look at the Feast of the Tabernacles. But for today, it's the Feast of Atonement, or better known as the Day of Atonement. We're going to read about it in Leviticus 23, spend most of our time in Leviticus chapter 16, where we have the actual instructions concerning the Day of Atonement. I'm going to read the text first of all, if you'd like to follow along, Leviticus chapter number 23, beginning in verse number, uh, chapter 23, beginning in verse number 23. And the scripture says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. At Feast of Trumpets, we looked at last week, it's the first of the fall feasts. We're going to review in just a a second, but we see that on that day they blew the trumpet. And the scripture goes on and tells us now about the next feast, beginning in verse number 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in the same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. The word atonement, by the way, means covering. What do they need covered? Their sin. We're going to see that. In a little bit. Verse 29. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doth any work in the same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute for Ever throughout your generations in all your dwellings, it shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto even shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. Let's do a quick review here. The spring feast we saw just over the past month, month and a half, beginning with the Passover. And we recognize that all of these really are a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the time it's written, Leviticus 23, they are prophetical in nature. They are looking forward to what God was going to do. Not only in the life of Israel, but also, as we saw, the life of the church. But it all began at Passover. Remember the thing we learned about Passover is that It was a new beginning for them. It was the seventh month of their civil calendar, but it became now the beginning of months as 
it relates to their religious calendar. And so the Passover was that first feast that was celebrated. The lamb, the innocent, was slain. Remember the four days of observation of that lamb to make sure there was no blemish. And we saw from the New Testament how Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled that picture of the Passover lamb. And the scripture declares, Christ is our Passover. And I hope he's your Passover this morning. I hope there's been a day in your life when you've recognized that it's nothing that you can do to work your way to heaven. You're going to have to rest, as we are going to see in the text today, you're going to have to rest in the work of someone else. There's nothing that they could do but rest in that shed blood that was given by that innocent lamb. In the Old Testament, a picture, it covered sin. In the New Testament, we see in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the type, it takes away sin. And oh, the blessing this morning to be able to sing, my sins are gone. All right? What a wonderful conclusion to that amazing grace. My sins are gone. Why? Because of Christ and the Passover. We saw the journey began immediately after Passover with the celebration of the unleavened bread. They were commanded to get all the leaven out of the house, a picture of sin. And we recognized that the moment we got saved, God's plan was for us to be out of Egypt on our way to Canaan land. What a wonderful picture of the Christian life. Everything changes in Jesus Christ. Uh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I'm so thankful here for the feast that give to us God's eternal plan. We, we go from the unleavened bread to the first fruits. And that first fruits was celebrated the day after the Sabbath following Passover. I know that's a mouthful, but basically what it says is Resurrection Sunday morning. They were celebrating the first fruits. The high priest would take that offering and wave it before God. Jesus Christ was our first fruits, risen from the dead. The rest of the harvest, that's you and me, uh, we also will be raised together. So the type there is absolutely wonderful concerning the first fruits. You can read more about it from a New Testament context in 1 Corinthians 15. When you read about the resurrection, you read that Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. And then there's the rest of us that's yet to come. Well, 50 days later, the word Pentecost there means 50. 50 days later, they would come back in the springtime for this fourth feast. And the fourth feast of Pentecost was quite unique from the other three because they were told now to make two loaves of fine flour. And these two loaves, they would also wave before the Lord as an offering. Now, the difference, remember what we taught? The difference was, not only was there fine flour, but what else was added? Leaven. <laughs> what a great picture of the church. Pentecost, we see the church. The church pushed forward on the scene from that uh, former Old Testament age here to now this New Testament age. And it all began at Pentecost. And we see that from individual stocks, we are now crushed. And uh, we are a part here of those loaves. There's a cohesiveness about the local church. It's a wonderful picture of the reality that we need each other. 
Listen, God never meant for Christians to go through life without the local church. The church is his plan. The church is his program. And prophetically, that Feast of Pentecost was a picture of what God would do in and through the local church. So those are what we call the spring feasts. Next slide, the fall feasts. The fall feasts. Now, we did spend some time in between the two periods. It's about a three-month period between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. And what we emphasized was the reality that we're living right now in the church age in summer. We're in the summer harvest. This is our time. This is how God providentially placed us in this time to be a part of the ingathering of the harvest of souls prior to Jesus returning again. You say, when's Jesus coming? When the trumpet shall sound. Are you ready for the trump? The feast of the trumpet was again a picture of a gathering. We saw three times in Numbers chapter number 10 how Israel was to gather because of the trumpet sound. Three different times here, the Scripture tells us in Numbers that they were to gather together when they heard the trumpet. Can I tell you, the church of God is going to get gathered. (laughs) Those believers in Christ, the dead in Christ, they're going to rise first, but then those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So the Feast of the Trumpets talks about a twofold uh, gathering. Remember, there's two trumpets in Numbers chapter 10. There's the trumpet that's going to call the church home, and then there's the trumpet that actually broadcasts the judgment of God during a seven-year tribulation time. Matter of fact, there's seven trumpets. Seven vials are mentioned here in Revelation. But that trumpet is going to sound, and it's a It's a sound of judgment and ultimately war against God. We're going to get into a little of that uh, even here this morning. But what we took away from the Feast of the Trumpets was, listen, God has a plan for Israel. And by the way, it's called Jacob's trouble. Uh, We're not under wrath. We're not under condemnation as a church. And uh, believers in this age here, God has clearly spoken in his word that they will be gathered. They'll be called when the trumpet sounds. And there, could I give the illustration of Noah and the flood? Just like they were called into the ark, they responded by grace through faith, and now as the waters came, what happened? The ark rose above the raft. The ark of safety was above all the the, the breaking up of the deeps and all of the flood and the rain that came. And that judgment that purged the earth of life, except for Noah, his three sons, his wife, their three wives, eight souls were saved. And all those animals that they had on the ark What's it a picture of? Listen, my salvation is in Jesus Christ. That door is open. I need to walk in and be in Christ. And then when the wrath comes, we're above the wrath. You say, what are we doing? We're going to show you that in just a moment. Matter of fact, let's just go there. Revelation chapter number 1. This is one of the times in Scripture where we see 
that God gives us an outline concerning calendar. We're dealing with a series on God's calendar. And God gives us a calendar through the Apostle John here in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter number 1. Notice who's speaking. I have a red letter edition. It's obvious for me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says, end of verse 17, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen. So John, he's supposed to write the past. He's supposed to write the things that he has seen. And chapter number one is all about what he saw. It's all about Jesus Christ and his fulfillment and uh, what God has done in the past. And then the scripture goes on and says, not just what thou hast seen and the things which are. That's important. See, not only is John writing from the perspective that there is something that's behind us, but there is something right now as well. John's writing about 90 AD, that very last uh, uh, book of the Bible, the, the, the completion of the canon. And we, we realize here that as John is, is writing, Jesus says, listen, there's things that uh, were, there's things that are right now. Well, what's that? That's chapter 2 and 3. What's chapter 2 and 3? It's about the church. It's about the church age. The seven churches are listed there in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now I want you to see that little word. This is uh, verse, uh, verse 19. What's yet to come? And the things which shall be hereafter. Now this is so important for us to see. Because God is going to use that same phrase in chapter 4, verse 1. The church age, the seven churches are taught in chapter 2 and 3. Chapter 1 is about Jesus. Chapter 2 and 3, there's the church age. Chapter 4, look what happens. After this, verse 1, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a what? Trumpet. There it is. What's the church waiting for? We're waiting for the trumpet. The, the, the church age will come to an end. I don't know when, but it will. And when it does, the Bible says the things that are hereafter, the things that are yet to come, will begin with that trumpet sound, talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. Notice the progression. First of all, come up hither. Secondly, I'm going to show you things hereafter. Come up hither. Who's that to? That's to the church. Chapter 2 and 3. Ecclesia. You're not going to find Ecclesia through the next chapters because the next chapters are about the tribulation period. It's about the seven-year judgment on this earth. By the way, God has to judge sin. He has to judge sins. By the way, God judges nations. God judges individuals. And we see here that the tribulation period, God's judgment is going to fall on Jacob, Jacob's going to receive trouble and the nations that defied God. 
And so the Bible tells us here the things that are coming hereafter begin with the scene of the 24 elders laying their crowns down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, what's going on down here on earth? Well, we're going to see. It's the day of the Lord that's going on. It's going on in heaven. Well, that's the believers with their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There we're at His throne. We're going to see a little bit about the Bema seat tonight in part two of uh, this message on the atonement. But what we have to understand is that this trumpet sound that we're waiting for is a, a twofold trumpet concerning the nation of Israel, concerning the church. And now we're going into a period of time between trumpets and the Day of Atonement where there is tremendous sorrow of soul. Why? Because there's a desire for forgiveness of sin. And the atonement is all about the covering of sin. So, we saw the trumpets. That's the first day of the official new year of the Jewish people. The Feast of the Trumpets today. Ten days later, we have the Day of Atonement. And we're going to just ask God's help as we look at our outline. Father, help us this morning as we desire to allow this atonement to be recognized as a reality, Lord, there is a day coming for the nation of Israel. Lord, where they will see Him who was pierced for them. And I pray, God, as the nation of Israel comes in a great reviving back to You during that tribulation period, that we would understand now what this feast, this day of atonement is all about. I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, we're going to skip through some slides here, guys. I want you to go to the scattered people slide, not the trumpet slide, but the day of atonement slide, and I want us to see the condition of the nation of Israel at this point. All right, when we look at Israel today, and we look at Israel really through time, we're going to see them as a scattered people. Now, why a trumpet? Well, that's to call the scattered so that they would be gathered. So they are called the scattered people. The trumpets are for the purpose here of gathering a scattered people. We already know that Israel right now uh, is, uh, is being that gathering place for the Jewish people, but even more so during the tribulation period. We're going to see this uh, exodus out of the countries of the world uh, to that little country of Israel. We understand not only are they scattered today, but they're also a sinful people that need to be cleansed. Have you ever asked an Orthodox Jew, where's your atonement for sin? They're remorseful, they're, they're contrite, but according to Leviticus that we're going to see right now, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission. There's none. So Orthodox Judaism today goes through the rituals that are associated here with their form of worship, but it's a bloodless worship. There is no Atonement. There is no covering today. 
There is no covering of their sin, as remorseful as they may be. And by the way, I mentioned last week that through these 10 days, Jewish people as a whole uh, spend these 10 days in uh, reflection, in remorse over sin. I told you that many have been taught that there are two books, the book of life and the book of death, and that God already knows who's going to die in that next calendar year, and you have these 10 days to really get things right so that if you are in the book of death, that you might be transferred here into this book of life, or at least that's the hope. Matter of fact, there's a Jewish greeting during this time, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. During this uh, uh, time, this, these, these 10 days, uh, in between the trumpets and the Day of Atonement, they're, they're looking at their own lives and they're greeting each other with that thought, oh, may your name uh, be inscribed in the book of life. And it's all like we learned last Sunday about the mitzvah, about the good deeds that they're doing. Maybe some of you have good friends that uh, are Orthodox Jews, and, and they will note next time in September how earnest they become over those 10 days. Because literally, if they are marked for death in that year, they don't want to be in the book of death. They want to have their name transferred to the book of life. And so there is this remorse for sin. So there, there's a problem. There are scattered people. That's what the Feast of Trumpets is going to teach us. There are sinful people. That's what the atonement is all about. It's about a cleansing. It's about a covering over sin. And then we're going to see next week here, you have the last one? They are a suffering people. And they will need comfort, and we're going to talk about how through their trouble, comfort will be available, and that's the Feast of Tabernacles. That'll be next Sunday, all right? So let's look at this thought here. When, it, when you look at a nation, we're going to first of all this morning see a nation is cleansed prophetically. It's during this time that there will be an atonement that's made. There will be a cleansing. And then we're going to see also, if time permits this morning, a king is coming, all right, that this king of kings and lord of lords is coming, and then we're also going to see, Lord willing, tonight, a bride is commended, and we're going to look at the Bema seat uh, this evening if you're able to come at 5 o'clock. So in your notes, if you'd write down the first major point, a nation is cleansed. A nation is cleansed. All right, letter A, and I've got several verses. Uh, we're going to be turning to Leviticus 16, if you could, with me. I told you we, we find the text in Leviticus chapter number 23, but most of what we're going to look at today is Leviticus chapter number 16. I want us to see an appointed purpose. Going to Leviticus chapter number 16. I don't have time to read through the entire chapter for you this morning, but what you would find is as you read through this, this is a description concerning the role of the high priest in preparing for the Day of Atonement. This is really concerning what needs to be done from his perspective. That there is a need, and the need is there's sin. 
And this day of atonement is a a one-day-a-year opportunity. One day a year the high priest could come into the Holy of Holies. No other time would he be permitted. One day of the year he could take that blood into the Holy of Holies and he would take that blood and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat which is the top of the Ark of the Covenant inside being the tablets of stone, the law of God and Aaron's rod and and, and manna from from the journey. And that mercy seat would be there sprinkled with the blood of that lamb. A picture of the covering of the sin and the reality that there is no covering without this blood being shed. But let's look at this appointed purpose. Here in Leviticus chapter number 16, would you note on the screen verse 21, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. All right. We have two goats symbolically that are brought, actually, not symbolically. One is actually killed. The other one symbolically is released as a picture of the sins being transferred from the nation to that goat released to be gone. Symbolically a picture of the fact that my sins are taken care of. But I want you to see here that the purpose is to deal with iniquity, transgression, and sin. And by the way, that's why the Passover lamb, that's why Jesus came. He came to take our iniquities. He came to take our transgression and sins. What do those words mean? The Scripture tells us here uh, that iniquities, and guys, I'm, I know I'm going a little ahead because the things I want to get done, thank you, you're on top of it. The, the word iniquity sim- simply means crooked. Do we see our sin as being crooked before God, not being straight? Do we see the sin that we commit as a violation of the law of God? The word iniquity deals with a crookedness. The word transgressions means rebellion or to cross over the line. Some of you have gone out to the neighbors and some of you have given flyers out for even Easter coming up or putting them at folks' door. And sometimes you'll see this, door, this sign that says, no trespassing. All right, what are they trying to say? Get off my porch is what they're trying to say. Uh, no trespassing, all right? Uh, if, if a farmer has a property, he's trying to protect it, he's got a fence there, and uh, you're a hunter uh, going out for quail, and you look to the right and you don't see the farmer, and you look to the left and don't see the farmer, and, and you climb over that fence, you have trespassed. What happened? You crossed over the line. You rebelled. Well, not only have we committed iniquity before God, but we've also transgressed. Not just crooked, but we're also rebels. And that last phrase that's used is sin, or sins, which is missing the mark from verse number 21. See, what was to take place by Aaron is he shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them 
unto the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. That's what symbolically happens to sin. So we see here that God does have a purpose in the atonement and that is to deal with the number one problem that we all have and that is a sin problem. Letter B, let's look at an appointed period. Back to Leviticus chapter number 16, an appointed period. God in his word tells us in verse number 34 these words. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all of their sins once a year. Once a year. We see that according to Hebrews 9, 7, that the priest did this first of all for himself and his family and then he did it for the people. The scripture says, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Hebrews also tells us it was once for all. Oh, what a contrast in type to religion today. See, the sacrifice of Jesus was enough for God. God's not pleased with the sacrifice of bulls and goats and sheep. That was only a picture of the Lamb of God that would come to take away the sin of the world through His final sacrifice. And the Scripture says it was once for all. And that great high priest, Jesus Christ, accomplished this once for all. Hebrews 9.14 teaches us this, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, one for all. See, all through these millenniums, Israel here has every year sacrificed here uh, so that this blood could be brought into the holy of holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat as a covering for sin. And they're relying on a new sacrifice the next year, and another sacrifice the year after, and another sacrifice the year after, and it never ends. But in Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb, once for all. And all oh, the blessing this morning is that He offered Himself for you and for me. See, there is an appointed period. An appointed purpose and let her see an appointed place. An appointed place. Chapter 17, verse 4. The Bible says that this took place out of the door of the tabernacle. God's appointed place. The New Testament says it this way. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. See, God had an appointed place, and that place was Calvary. That was an appointment that God, Jesus Christ, kept for the world. Why? Because God so loved the world. That he was willing on his calendar to have the perfect Lamb of God come. His life to be 
given up voluntarily his blood to be shed so that there could be not just a covering of sin, but absolutely an abolishment of our sin as far as the east is, as far from the west, so far as God removed them from us. Letter D, notice the appointed person. Here in Leviticus 16, the appointed person was the high priest. Verse 17 of chapter 16, the scripture says, And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place. Not anybody could go in. It had to be the high priest. The second half of the verse says this, Until he come out and have made atonement for himself and of his household and for all the congregation of Israel. He offered for himself. That's what I want you to hang on to. The high priest in that day had to offer for himself. Why? Because he was a sinner. He transgressed. He committed iniquity. In his life was sin. But not so with the Lamb of God. Not so with the great high priest that we learn about in the book of Hebrews after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, the blessing here, recognizing that our high priest did not have to offer for himself. <laughs> he just offered for us. Because in him there was no sin. Oh, he offered for himself. And Hebrews 7.27, notice what the scripture says. He offered up himself. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice? First for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself, referring to Jesus. He did it. And he offered himself as atonement for you and for me, the appointed person. Notice letter E, the appointed price. What was the price that had to be paid? Well, Leviticus 17 verse 11 tells us, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it uh, to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that make an atonement for the soul. What's the price? It's the blood. Folks, there's so many modernistic religions out there that long ago have jettisoned the blood from the hymn books because it's offensive to them. They call it a slaughterhouse religion. They don't mind talking about Jesus, the great teacher. They just don't want to talk about the bloody Jesus that was slain for the sins of the world. And so they cut it out of their Bibles and they cut it out of their hymn books. Why? Because they're ashamed of the blood. Can I tell you, there is no redemption. There is no atonement without the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Oh, do you see it by type in the Old Testament and by fulfillment in Jesus Christ? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Folks, Jesus died. But he had to die God's way. He had to die suspended on the cross, on the tree. He had to voluntarily give up his life. 
He was the Lamb of God that offered up himself, and he's the one that paid the price because his blood was perfect blood. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us in the New Testament, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Why, why would God do that? Why would God leave the splendor of heaven, set aside his prerogative, be born of a virgin, wrap himself in humanity and flesh? Why? Because we're sinners. And there was only one way of escape for us. And that's why the Christmas story tells us why he came. To save his people from their sin. My problem is the same problem all humanity has. It's a sin problem. And there's absolutely nothing I can do. By the way, there's nothing the nation could do. Oh, they could be remorseful about their sin. They could be contrite about their sin, but there is no activity that they could do to deal with the covering for their sin. They had to wait and rely on the high priest to do what they could not do for themselves. Oh, if you could get that lesson this morning. You can do nothing. He's done it all. There is absolutely nothing that I can do but look to Jesus who's already done the work. It is finished. He did it for you. He did it for me. Revelation 1.5 tells us, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a blessing. The things that were in this chapter and the things that were is that work of Jesus Christ for you and for me. And the blood that was shed so that we could be washed. By the way, baptismal waters do not wash away our sins. It's only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that can wash away our sins. And oh, have you received Jesus Christ as your Redeemer. The price is the blood. Revelation 5.9, it's that heavenly scene. Things that shall be hereafter. The four and twenty elders there are gathered and they're casting their crowns. There in that text, and I want to read just a couple verses to you from Revelation chapter number 5. For the scripture says in verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the book? And the loose, the seals thereof. Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and Twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Folks, that's where we're going to find ourselves when we're in heaven. We're going to find ourselves 
falling down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. How? By the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. If you look across the auditorium, you're going to see people from all different ethnic backgrounds. And all of us that have received Jesus Christ as our Savior will have the privilege in unified voice to cry out, Glory to God! There as we are laid prostrate there before Him. Oh, what a day that is going to be. He is worthy. Why? Because the blood. Where he redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Oh, what a gathering that's going to be. Oh, we look forward to the day when all our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are united there before his throne. An appointment Appointment. We've looked at the price. Let's go to the appointment. An appointed procedure. Does that help you guys? An appointed procedure. I've already mentioned this, so we're going to go through this very quick. Just write down the word, letter F. And I want you just to see the sprinkling part on the mercy seat going back to chapter 16, verse 2. Because this is so important for us. By the way, I just read in my Bible last week about... The ark in heaven, referring to the ark, of the, uh, uh, the ark of the covenant. Now, folks have said, where is the lost ark? I'm not going to be um, dogmatic on this. <laughs> that may just be the true ark, and the ark down here was just a facsimile of the true. You know, Jesus often said, like, I'm the true vine. I, I look at a vineyard, that's not the real vine. Jesus is the true vine. That's just a facsimile here of the true vine. I don't know which it is, but Jesus presented his blood on the mercy seat, on that ark in heaven as the covering for your sin and for mine. And all I can say this morning is, hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh, that he would do that for me. So the procedure from Leviticus 16 is there has to be that sprinkling of blood. Where on the mercy seat? Isn't it interesting that that mercy seat covers the law? What does the law do? It condemns us. It shows us that we're lawbreakers. In Galatians, Paul said, it's the schoolmaster that God used to just bring you to Jesus. How does it do that? Well, it shows you that you can't keep the law. I know I've tried not to lie, but boy, there it goes again. I've tried not to do this. I've tried not to do that. What's the law do? It shows me how desperately I need Jesus Christ and the mercy and grace of God. And that blood is sprinkled there on the mercy seat that covers over the law and God's righteous demand. By the way, did Jesus come? To destroy the law? No. What did he come for? Fulfill the law. He met the holy, righteous demands of God as that sinless God-man. 
and God was satisfied. And just like Romans 5 lays this out for you, read it this afternoon, just like in Adam all men died, in Jesus Christ we can all be made alive. Just like the first Adam doomed us all to being separated from God, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came so we could be justified, declared righteous, it's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter number 5. What a wonder that God did this. What's the procedure from Leviticus 16? The sprinkling on the mercy seat. Look at verse 15 of Leviticus 16. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. That was the procedure. And we're going to close with the last thought, letter F, an appointed penitence. An appointed penitence. Remember what they're doing through these 10 days from the Feast of the Trumpets, waiting for the Day of Atonement, when the high priest is going to go in and offer that blood sacrifice for the whole sins of the nation. They're contrite. They're mourning. It's solemn. Let's go back here to Leviticus 16. I want to read just a couple of verses for you. The Bible does lay out here the reality of... Uh, I'm sorry, 23 is going to lay that out. Leviticus 23. I want you to see the Day of Atonement from verse number 7, that they were to afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and ye shall do no work in the same day, for it is a Day of Atonement. What a marvelous picture that is. They were to do no work, they afflict their souls, and then they were to celebrate your Sabbath. Sabbath is rest. You know what that's a marvelous picture of? The fact that everything that has to do with your sins and my sins being forgiven falls on the shoulders of our high priest. I can't do it. You can't do it. Some of you feel like, well, Pastor, there's just got to be some of me in this equation I mean, I know Jesus died for me, he shed his blood, but I got to do good stuff too. I got to do this and I got to do that. I mean, that's how the world's conditioned. Can I tell you something? Jesus did it all. He's the high priest. They could do no work. There's nothing that they could do to assist in this process. They were bystanders. The work had to be done on their behalf. And so it is with the child of God today. This work has to be done by Jesus Christ. And I have to simply, by grace, through faith, accept this marvelous working on God on our behalf. And let me tell you, when we understand that it is not our work, it's His work, and we're resting in His finished work, and we come to him contrite, and we come to him with an affliction of our soul that we understand that I'm a rebel, I'm a trespasser, I am crooked, I'm a sinner, 
I've, I've crossed over the line. I've missed the mark. And when we have come to that position and we realize that, what do I do? We can look to our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done it all. Have you received Jesus alone? Or have you mixed your good works with the finished work of Jesus? If you are trying to mix your good works, God says, listen, they're like filthy rags. Your righteousness, your self-righteousness is like a filthy rag. God can't accept that. The only thing God can accept is the wonderful righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And then God does something absolutely amazing. 2 Corinthians 5, last verse of the chapter. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Say, what transaction took place? You may not have understood it, and I may not have understood it, but when Jesus hung on the cross, the weight of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, was put upon Him. He bore it all. He paid for it all. Every wretched, vile thing that I've done in my whole life and my family's done, and everybody that lives in our community, and everybody that lives in our state, and everyone that lives in our nation, and everyone that lives in our world, in this generation, and in the previous generation, and in the previous generation, and the sin of all of mankind going back to Adam and Eve, all of it was placed on Jesus Christ. The sinless, spotless lamb. And he died. He voluntarily let that blood flow. Why? Because I needed redemption. My problem is sin. And it's only the blood of Jesus that answers the need of my life. Oh, child of God, if you've been redeemed by the blood, you ought to go out and let's tell somebody this week. Let's recognize that we're in that harvest season. Pentecost, it's behind us. Trumpets is before us. There is an atonement. We're going to have to go tonight to God's working with the Jewish nation during the tribulation. If you'd like to learn a little bit about the tribulation period tonight, 5 o'clock. But for us, oh, let's leave here this morning recognizing the wonder of our Savior and the reality that both he was the Lamb and he was the high priest. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a help to you, please feel free to share it on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.